So I'm reading from Genesis chapter 4, page 3 in your pew Bibles. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mahujil, and Mahujil was the father of Methushil, and Methushil was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, the New Testament reading tonight is from, um, from John, 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 16, on page 863. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers. If the world hates you, we know that we have passed from the death of life, death to life. 
we because oh, sorry because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brothers is a murderer. And you know that no one and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Evening everyone. Tough crowd. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Steve. In fact, even if we have met, my name is still Steve. Uh, it's really good to be with you uh, tonight. As we uh, have been working our way through Genesis, we're now in our fourth week. We've been reminded of many things about God and humanity. Uh, one thing we learned last week is that the devil is very present. Uh, the devil, as Dave reminded us in his prayer just a minute ago, is prowling around like a lion looking for people to devour And the devil would love to devour God's word tonight so that it doesn't sink into our hearts, that it doesn't affect us, it doesn't change us. So we walk out of this building no different to when we walked in. That God's written word to us tonight would have no impact in our lives. The devil would love that. But we are creatures and our creator has spoken to us and he has spoken to us words of eternal life. And so let's pray now that our God would speak to us and that our hearts would be changed. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for revealing yourself and your plans and your goodness to us through your word. Our Lord, you showed us last night that the devil, last week that the devil is a very present force in our world, that he loves to tempt us, to distract us, that he loves to take your word and change it. Father, we pray against the devil and pray Uh, that you would be here amongst us tonight as you have promised and that we would have soft hearts, hearts that are ready and willing to hear your word and to respond. And we pray this for the sake of our great King and Saviour, Jesus. Amen. We all know, don't we, that motivation is important. Uh, It seems often that why you do something is even more important than what you do. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked Rach to marry me. Uh, She didn't reply, but she may well have replied, why? Why do you want to marry me? If I said to her, well, I've got nothing better to do, it'd be a terrible response. And it's not a true response either. But if I said that to her, my motivation for wanting to marry her would completely overshadow my proposal. Well, let's take something perhaps more common to the rest of us. Let's say you buy your mum a birthday present and she says, why? Now, I don't know why she would ask why. Perhaps you usually forget and she's surprised that you remembered this year. And if you explain to your mum that the reason that you bought her a present was because you knew she'd get upset if you didn't get one, it's kind of overshadowed the fact that you bought her a present. Your motivation is important. In fact, the reason why we do things is much more important than what we do. And as Christians, we do a lot, don't we? We're busy doing a lot of things because we're Christians. Let me ask you to do something a bit different. On the sermon notepads that are in front of you, just pick it up, take a minute. I want you to write down some of the things that you do just because you're a Christian. Just what do you do? How does your life look different because you're a Christian? Lots of things. We go to church. We go to connect groups. We lead connect groups. We help out at working bees. We pull out weeds. All kinds of things. Write down some of the things that you do because you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian here tonight... That's totally okay. We're really glad you're here. 
Perhaps you might use this opportunity to write in the response slips you've got in your Bible. But each of us, we've got something to write. What do you do because you're a Christian? As you write that list, or perhaps you've finished, I want you just to have a look over the things that you've written. And over each thing that you see, ask yourself the question, why? Why are you here at church tonight? Why are you in a connect group or not in a connect group? Why do you come to pray before the service starts? Why do you help out on the welcoming team? Why do you wash dishes at the community lunch? Why do you pull out weeds at the working bee? Why did you come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday night? Why didn't you come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday night? Why? I don't want to discourage us from doing any of these good things for God. The Bible shows us in many ways that these things that we do to serve him, if that's our reason, are good things to do. But please examine your motivation. We're going to be doing this tonight as we look at God's word, examining why we do things. People care about motives. But even more important than that, God cares about motives. God cares why we do things. And let's be real with ourselves tonight. It's easy to fool one another. We can look pretty good from the outside. But we can't fool God, and God knows what's going on in our hearts. So let's be real and honest as we look at this passage. Well, the passage uh, that was read to us before, that Alex read, Genesis 4, introduces us to the world's first two brothers, Adam and Eve uh, gave birth, well, Eve gave birth, really, uh, to Cain uh, and then to Abel, the world's first two brothers. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us anything, really, about their childhood. It doesn't tell us about how they grew up or the things that they liked to do or uh, where they went to school or where they went on family holidays. We jump straight from the birth to discover what their vocation was. Take a look with me at verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now the question that automatically comes to mind when you read this is why? Why are Cain and Abel bringing an offering to God? Did God need Cain's wheat and his vegetables to keep the world spinning round? Did God need Abel's sheep to keep the stars up in the sky? Of course God didn't need any of those things. God is entirely self-sufficient. God was there before there was anything else and God will be there at the end. God needs nothing and God needs no one. He created everything and everything belongs to him. The offering that Cain and Abel bring to God is purely symbolic. It's an offering That is an act of worship. It is them saying to God, thank you. It is them glorifying God, of showing thankfulness to God, of honoring God for who he is and what he's done. God doesn't need those things. They weren't really giving God anything that didn't belong to God in the first place. And friends, that's the same for us. There's nothing we can give to God that doesn't already belong to him. 
And there's two things that stand out in this offering. The first is the quality of their offering. And the second is the motive. What's going on in their heart when they present this, this offering to God? And friends, this story isn't just about Cain and Abel, the world's first two brothers. This story is about you and it's about me. Let's take a look. Keep your Bibles open, chapter 4. Let's examine the quality of the offering. What's the difference in the offerings that these two men bring? And the wording's important. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And what did God think of their offerings? Well, verse 4 tells us that, that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. What's the difference between Cain and Abel here? Well, Cain held out on God. He was half-hearted in his response to God. He gave God some of what he had. Cain's offering was really a token sacrifice. And Abel? Well, Abel gave God his best. He gave God the firstborn, the first of what God had given him, the best of what God had given him. That was Abel's offering to God. So the obvious question is, who are you in this story? Are you Cain? Or are you Abel? Do you hold out on God? Or do you give God your best? Who are you in this story? Well, let me ask you a bigger question. Let's take a step back. What is God worth to you? What is God worth? Because what you think God is worth will be, will be reflected in how you live out to him, in, in how you offer your life as a sacrifice to God. Many of us here know the things that the Bible tells us, and they simply run off us like water in the rain. We know that the Bible tells us that God loves us, that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, that he has secured for us the hope of eternal life. But somehow this knowledge isn't reflected in the way that we live a wholehearted, sacrificial, thankful life in response to God's goodness. We know about God, but it doesn't change us. Let's not forget that Cain knew about God too. Think back to two weeks ago when God created Cain's parents. Adam was created out of the dust of the earth by God. Eve was created out of Adam, out of his side. A rib was taken out. Amazing stuff. No one else has been created like that before. Don't you think they talked about that over the dinner table? Laughing about, wow, you know, I was created out of the dust. How were you created, Eve? Oh, I was created out of your side. It's amazing stuff. Cain couldn't have been unaware of the power and the presence of God. But his knowledge too failed to be reflected in the way that he lived. And friends, I think this is true of some of us here tonight. I think we know many things that God has done for us, but it's failed to reflect in how we approach him. God, you're amazing. I'll come to church each week, 6.30. I might rush in the door at 6.30 and... I'll be here till 8. No, I'll tell you what, God, I'll give you 8.30. Maybe not every week. No, sorry, look, I'll give you every second week. Or the bags come round as we give money to the great work that goes on at church, but much further afield, as we heard before from Linda. And we're like, oh, God, this is all I got tonight. That's all I got. Next week, I'll try to remember. 
Or it's in the way we make decisions. Not even considering what God would have us do next. But friends, at least Cain offered something. This is a hard, a hard word. I was thinking this, I was just reading over it before. But Cain brought something to God and some of us aren't even like Cain. I'm speaking to the Christians here. If you're not a Christian tonight, you're not expected to give God anything. You don't even really yet know God. So your response to God is just listening, just learning, just trying to understand what God is like. But to the Christians here, are you someone who just gives God nothing? Our churches are full of consumer Christians, people who come to church and just want to take. God, I'll come as long as you give to me. Give to me, God. Some people just come on Sundays just for what they can get out of it. There's no thought as to offering back to God a worthy sacrifice, a life of thanksgiving for all he has done to us. I hope that you're not one of those people. But all of this comes back again to what we think about God, doesn't it? What is God worthy of? Friends, what is God worthy of in your life? The truth is, and many of us know this, that God created us and God loved us and God rescued us and God redeemed us. And God has given us a hope and he's given us a future and he has secured a place in heaven and we have a treasure that can never perish, spoil or fade. The truth is that everything that we have has been given to us by God. This is the truth that many of us, that many of us know and many of us are responding wholeheartedly and sacrificially. Praise God for you if you are those people who have realized the depth of what God has done for you and are responding appropriately and wholeheartedly and sacrificially with your life. So if you realize that God is worthy of everything, that God is worthy of your best, just as Abel realized in his sacrifice, what does that mean for your life? What does it mean for you to give God your best? It's a question that, we can only answer for ourselves. You can't answer for someone else. For some people, it means just coming to church each week. We've got a service of people where often you look one week and the people who are there the next week is completely different. Coming to church every week might be one way of just giving God your best, of serving him on a Sunday. For some people, it might just be thinking sacrificially and forward thinking about how we're going to give. Saying, God, you've been so generous to me. How can I live out a response to that in my life? I heard someone speaking about this uh, earlier in the week, and he made a great comment. We say to God, God, why should I give you 10%? God says to us, why should I give you 90? It all comes back to what we think God has done for us. For some people, it means making decisions based not on what's convenient for us, or not on what we have time for, or what energy we have, or whether it fits in with our life goals or our plans for this year, but on what is best for God and for his kingdom. It's about thinking first about what God wants and how God would have us live and then considering ourselves. So friends, what does it mean for you to give God your best? Please don't be like Cain. Well, the quality of the offering is one thing. It's an important point, but... 
the motive, the heart that Cain and Abel have as they come before God is something else. The offering that they brought was really symptomatic of what was happening in their hearts. And this is my second point. Their motivation was different and their hearts were different. To put it simply and to put it how the Bible puts it, Abel had faith and Cain didn't. Let's take a look at Hebrews. It's a book that is right towards the back of the Bible. It's on the screen now. Hebrews 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. It's clear that Abel had faith, and that's what motivated his offering to God. And his faith made his offering better. In fact, his faith meant that God spoke well of his offering. God spoke well of what Abel gave up to God. Why? Because Abel had faith. You know, Abel didn't just believe in God. The Bible tells us that even the devil believes in God. Believing in God is a very low bar to jump over. Now, Abel had faith in God. Abel trusted God. Abel knew God. Abel hoped in God. Abel, Abel had faith in God. And this wholehearted, this sacrificial faith, this was his motivation for coming before God and offering up to God the best of what he had. Faith is a strange thing, you know, because most people don't know if you have it. Lots of people can go through with the actions of Christianity. Jesus is clear that some people are going to rock up to heaven on that last day and Jesus is going to be like, I don't know you. You're doing all these things for me, but I don't know you. You didn't have faith. Only we know and God knows really what's going on in our hearts. God knows our motivation. God looks through the outward appearance. He looks beyond what we see in each other and he looks into our heart. God sees what's in the heart. People see what we do. God sees why we do it. So take a look back over that list before. Take a look back over that th- the list of things that you do because you're a Christian and again, ask yourself why. Friends, I don't want us to have hearts and God more importantly, he doesn't want us to have hearts that just do things out of any other sense than a deep and abiding faith in him. Let me ask you this question. Why are you at church tonight? Why are you at church? Now again, if you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here. And you're here at church tonight, perhaps just to check out what Christianity is all about. And that's a great reason to be at church. But if you, if you are a Christian and you're here, What's your motivation for coming along tonight? Some people come because they think that God will be angry with them if they don't turn up. Some people come because they think their friends would be upset if they didn't turn up to church. Some people come because they're looking for a husband or a wife. Some people come because they'd feel guilty if they didn't come to church. Some people come because they're rostered on to serve. In fact, some people only come to church because they're rostered on to serve. Some people come because they're lonely. Some people come because they've got nothing better to do on a Sunday night. Some people come because they feel they'd be letting someone else down if they weren't here. Why did you come to church tonight? Friends, faith isn't the only motivation for why we do things. 
Bible is clear that there are lots of other motivations, but faith is the only motivation that pleases God. And it was that motivation when Abel came and presented his offering to God that God found pleasing. And Jesus condemned the religious leaders of the day. He said that the people honour me with their lips, but their hearts, well, their hearts are far from me. Friends, God wants our hearts. He doesn't just want our actions. He wants our hearts. He wants to be the motivation, the driving force behind everything that we do. Does God have your heart? Are you like Abel or are you like Cain? Please, may God have your heart. Examine it. Both Cain and Abel gave to God. Just as many of us do things for God. But Cain's heart, Cain's heart was far from God. Well, now we move to the final point. It's been a heavy word. Uh, It gets better. (laughs) But we need to hear this. We need to hear what God wants for us. Now, for Cain, his heart was just the start of his troubles. Uh, We read that he didn't just have a wrong view of God. He didn't just have bad motives. Uh, He then went on to be angry with God. He said in verse 6, take a look. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. It's such a vivid illustration is that sin is crouching at your door. God made it clear. It's up to you, Cain. You can do what is right and you'll be accepted. But if you don't, watch out. Because sin, the devil, is crouching at the door and desires to have you. It's that language, you know, of you know, the devil being this roaring lion, prowling, looking for someone to devour. And the devil didn't really have to wait long for Cain because Cain gave in pretty easily. Because <laughs> we see next that Now Cain said to his brother Abel, verse 8, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Then the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Cain when he walked home in through the front door that night? Hi, Cain. How's your day? Ready for dinner? Where's your brother? Sorry, Mum. I've got something to tell you. Brother's not coming home tonight. It's just this terrible picture of brutality, of premeditated brutality as Cain goes and kills his brother. Now, here's an interesting question. And your answer here will really reflect a lot about you, (laughs) What do you think Cain deserved for killing his brother? What did Cain deserve? This wasn't an accident. This wasn't manslaughter. Cain deliberately, angrily, brutally killed his brother. And God knows what happened here. God says that Abel's blood cries out. This crime hasn't gone unseen or unnoticed by God like every crime that has ever happened in this world. So what should God do? What would you do? Well, take a look at verse 11. This is what happens. God says to Cain, Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. 
you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. That's it? That's all that he gets? Farming's going to be hard. You'll have to leave home. You'll never have a place to live. He even gets God's special protection so that no one kills him. Has God seen what's going on here? I mean, sure, Cain's been punished. But does anyone else agree with me? This punishment doesn't really seem to fit the crime. I guess as we look at this, we see that Cain seems to get off lightly. But of course, our response really depends so much on who we think we are in this passage. Do you think that you're Cain? Or do you think that you're Abel? Are you the wrongdoer? Or are you the victim? We're funny people, really, aren't we? You know, when we're wronged, we demand justice, don't we? We demand that justice be done. But what happens when we wrong others? Are we so fervent in our desire that justice be carried out? Carry out justice on me. Do it. Pour on me the full force of the law. Of course, that's not how we respond. Say, be merciful to me. Please, don't treat me as, as my sins deserve. We do this for each other. We do this in the courts. We do this to God. You know, a few of us have killed anyone. Uh, But murder is a pretty bad thing to do by anyone's uh, standards. But as our creator, God's standards are so much different to us. In fact, God says that anyone who who hates his brother, anyone who just hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. It's a much higher bar, isn't it? You know, when we hear God's standard of justice, are we still crying out so fervently that God's justice be done? Do you want God's justice to be done in your life? I don't think so. Because right from day one, when Adam and Eve and then Cain went on to sin, we've been killing people. We've been killing people with guns and with atomic bombs and with grenades. We've been killing people with our words, with our thoughts and with our bitterness and with our malice. We've been killing people with actions and we've been killing people with our hearts. Friends, we need mercy. We do not need judgment. I don't know if you've done uh, much heart monitoring lately. I'm talking about the kind of monitor you wear around your chest. See how close you are to dying when you go for a run. Talking about the heart monitor where you're just looking in your heart to see, uh, see what you're really like. Try and examine what kind of heart you've got. I did this earlier this week. It was ugly. You know, I started reading this book, uh, Faith Beyond Feelings, by a guy called Jonathan Edwards. And as I read this book, I hadn't got more than a couple of pages before I realized the sin that was in my heart. So I open it up and I read the uh, introduction about what a great preacher Jonathan Edwards was. And I go, oh, I'd love to be like that. I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? And then I read a bit further And he just kind of hands out this damning rebuke uh, to the Christians whose hearts are far from God. And I go, oh, I need some people who who really need to hear that word. And I'll be completely forgotten that my heart needed that word even more than anyone else I could tell it to. And then I read a little bit further. And I thought, you know, I'm so good for reading this book. What a holy guy I am. 
But there's plenty of other Christians I know who never even touch Christian books. And look at me, sitting here, putting my time aside to get into God's, get into God's word. And I was just devastated because God had just highlighted to me the sin that's in my heart. My pride was, was oozing out everywhere. I couldn't escape it. You know, if you're looking on the surface, you're able to kind of peer into my bedroom that night. You thought, oh, Steve, he's a godly guy. But if only you knew what was in my heart. And friends, my heart, uh, just like Cain's and just like yours, was struggling. And friends, right from the beginning, we as fellow humans have had this problem with our hearts. We've had a problem with sin. Our motives have been corrupted. Our actions have been corrupted. Our desires have been corrupted. Our hearts have just been corrupted in every possible way. We've got a heart problem. We've got a sin problem. And just as Abel's blood cried out for justice, so also does our sin. Our sin cries out to be judged. So what do we do? Well, thankfully, we open up the Bible and we turn right toward the end to the book of Hebrews that was read out to us uh, before, the passage that I was brought your attention to. Hebrews 12 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirit of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the meditator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We read before that Abel's blood cries out for justice. Where is the justice? But when Jesus died, hanging on that cross, and the blood poured out of his body, his sprinkled blood said, It is finished. God's judgment fell on the innocent Jesus. God's judgment did not fall on the guilty you and the guilty me. The blood of Jesus cries out, sin is paid for, justice is done. Not on me, not on you, but on Jesus. That's what Jesus' blood cries out. Sin has been paid for. And the guilty, you and me, can now cry out to God, please let that blood that was spilled be my blood. Let that be my judgment so that I do not have to face this judgment from you. And friends, anyone can do that. Anyone can call on God and ask that the spilled blood of Jesus would speak for you in front of God. Praise God that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Praise God for Jesus spilling his blood that justice would not be poured out on us, but was poured out on him. Praise God that he is gracious. Praise God that he is merciful. Friends, isn't this such a great motivation to live wholehearted and sacrificial lives toward God? Isn't that a good reason to give everything that we have to God? You know, earlier this year, and in case you're wondering, I'm finishing up now, not long to go. Earlier this year, I was at a, uh, a Coldplay concert, and it really impacted me. In fact, it's the reason why uh, Haley and I are kind of uh, starting up this uh, worthy worship night on the 31st of July. Because as uh, I sat in the Acer Arena, there's what, 20,000 people there, 
we had 20,000 wholehearted worshippers of Chris Martin and Coldplay. We gathered before the throne of Chris Martin and we sang passionately with one voice that rarely we see in church because we loved it. We loved the words. We loved the music. We loved the atmosphere. We loved being around people. We thought Chris Martin was worthy. We thought Michael Jackson was worthy. We've seen how the world has grieved over one man's death and all he did was sing some, well, good songs. And... Dylan. (laughs) We've seen... I've just noticed... I've noticed with Coldplay, I've noticed with Michael Jackson that we seem to think that the things of this world are so much worthier of our praise and our sacrifice and our adoration than our King and our Saviour and our sacrificial Lamb, Jesus. And if only we could sing church on a Sunday night with the gusto we belted out at that Coldplay concert. If only the world would mourn the death of Jesus like they mourn Michael Jackson. Friends, Jonathan Edwards in his book, wasn't all bad news for me, got some good quotes out of it, said this, and this quote is on the screen. We are nothing if we are not earnest about our faith. The religious life contains things too great for us to be lukewarm. Now, isn't that the truth? Let us pray that God would continue to work in our hearts, that we would not be unaffected by the glorious things that he has shown us in his word, and that we would live lives in true, wholehearted, sacrificial thanksgiving for all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, what can we say? What can we say for all that you have done for us? We were not worthy. Our hearts were far from you. And in our sin and in our depravity, you sent Jesus. You sent Jesus to rescue us, to redeem us, to show us that you love us, to show us that you want to be a part of our lives, to show us that you want to be with us for eternity, to show us that you do not want to hold our sin against us. Lord, what can we say to thank you? How can we live to thank you for such amazing work done for us? Father, please work in our hearts. Please change us that we would not be so half-hearted in our worship of you, that we might be changed, that our lives might be uh, spiritual offerings, offerings of sacrifice and wholehearted thanksgiving in recognition that you have done everything good for us. Please change our hearts. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to live a life that is worthy of him. Amen.